for the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You're listening to By the Well, a lectionary-based podcast for preachers recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people. Welcome to our Christmas episode. I'm Robin Whittaker. And I'm Kylie Crabb. Today we're talking about the readings uh, that are in the lectionary for Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. There are lots of options that are given there. So we're just going to focus on a few of those. You've already heard us read out a selection from Isaiah 9 verses 2 to 7, which is paired with Luke 2, 1 to 20. So we're going to be talking about those. And then also about Psalm 98 and John 1 verses 1 to 14. So Robin, do you want to kick us off by thinking about some of the connections between the Isaiah 9 reading and Luke 2? Yeah, thanks Kylie. I think um, Isaiah 9 sets us up really well to enter the themes of Luke 2. We have in in the bit we read at the beginning um, this tension between a situation of kind of war and oppression, uh, the threat of foreign armies that are burdensome, and this sort of image of God coming in and smashing um, the oppressors. But in perhaps a bit of an unexpected move, um, instead of getting a warrior God who does the smashing, we get this image of a child who's born. So a little child who is um, kind of becomes the focal point of this victory. Mm. And uh, the mode of their victory is this way of peace. This, this counsellor language, this sort of advocate counsellor um, model of peace. And, of course, in the, in the surrounding chapter, which the lectionary cuts out, we have the famous people walking in darkness have seen a great light. So we've also got images of light and celebration and other themes, joy, which we're going to see throughout our readings mm. in, in this Christmas season. Um, and I think that sets, sets us up really well for Luke because when we go to Luke, we have a same kind of tension woven in so maybe we'll turn to Luke. Yeah, yeah. The lectionary sort of says one to fourteen or eight to twenty. We're just going to talk about all twenty verses, and possibly if Luke's your focus, you might read all twenty because yes. it's odd to kind of stop the story short. I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so Kylie, Luke, we have this. Um, well, the setting of a census, right? So yeah. what what comes to mind there for you, like in terms of why does Luke tell us a census is happening? Yeah, I think. I mean, I. It's fascinating, right? We've got with this really um, clear kind of, I mean, there are plenty of biblical scholars out there who will tell you that it's impossible to kind of count back exactly and work out Mm. the dates of these things and there's something awry in Luke's mathematics here, which um, is fine. But, But part of what we're, what I think Luke is doing here is that he's trying to really ground this story in historical time. He's trying mm. to like give it a date and a time and a place, and and in fact, uh, it, it's got an imperial setting, right? It's it's yep. being counted in time under 
um, under Augustus. We've got all of this stuff so that so that we know exactly what's what's going on here because there is something that is going to be about a different kind of kingdom, like like you're saying in the Isaiah reading. Um, so so we've got something being overturned here, and we we need to I think be super careful about how we're thinking about that as well, how we're talking about it, and not not just. Um, not just in how we're preaching on it, sort of reinscribing imperial categories. Like, so there's a big debate in biblical studies and and in the study of this section of Luke about whether this is a genuine overturning of um, imperial power or really just replacing the same kind of um, potential for violence and uh, control that we get in imperial Rome with um, those kind of attributes of of God um, yeah. and and if that's what the you know so so thinking in terms about like how how is this text how is the Christian tradition pointing to a different way of um, of of living authority you know yes, like, yeah of what we might call Rulers or yeah. right, ruling, but that word is often means a certain kind of dominant yeah. control. Yeah, yeah. So there's something really complicated about that that's going on just in those few opening verses, really. Yeah, and I think we can skip over this. I mean, the danger with texts like our Christmas text is they're so familiar yes. that we kind of just go, "Oh yeah, baby manger Jesus." Yeah. Um, I've got an outfit that will work for that <laughs> bit. We can do, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but, I mean, I think verse 3 and 4 are striking too. So we've got this, as you've said, an imperial setting. We've got the emperor named. We've got a, um, a governor named. Um, and then we get double references in verse 4 to the city of David or family of David. So Luke really wants us to know that um, Joseph is associated with this Davidic line, mm. which, of course, is a royal line. Yeah. So it's kind of subtle, but he's assuming people will get it. Yeah. That we've immediately got, I think, a kind of a clash of kingdoms as you're pointing to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it will draw, uh, like for a reader who's actually not just reading a section of the lectionary in a church service but has been reading through the text of Luke, it will draw their attention immediately back to the bit that's just happened with Zechariah's song, yep. which has all of these messianic, Davidic, royal themes in it as well. Yep. Yes, and even before that, I mean, probably one of the you know most loved bits of scripture is Mary's Magnificat, as we call it, which again talks about yes. reversals and God humbling the powerful, and um, so all of that is is sitting behind this particular scene. Exactly. Um, and so, of course, when we get to uh, verse five and six here in Luke two, we meet we hear of Mary for the first time engaged to Joseph, not. Not for the first time in Luke, but for the first, <laughs> first time, time in, in this, this little chapter. section. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that she's expecting a child and that this is now the time for her to deliver a child. So, again, Isaiah 9 resonating in the background and a question about what um, what the significance of this child is given this kind of political setup. Yes. Yeah. Um, I have one pet peeve and this is verse 7. <laughs> Uh, a colleague of ours, Stephen Carlson, wrote an article a few years ago about this word that is often translated in, it's cataluma, and he made a very convincing argument, it's quite a rare word in the Bible, um, that it actually means guest room. So I know we're very shaped by our Christmas plays and nativity scenes of Mary and Joseph knocking on the door and being turned away and they end up in the 
back shed or something mm. with the animals. But actually the scenario here from what we know too of ancient houses in this part of the world was probably that there's no room in the guest room and Stephen suggests a few possibilities for this. One is that it might have been so tiny that she literally couldn't safely give birth there because the other women couldn't gather mm. around. Or another possibility I've read is that because people are moving for the census, there's already other guests in the guest room. Mm. So there's no room for them because there's other guests in the extended family. And so they're probably in the main room, which has this connection to, to the lower part of the house where the animals are. So it just gives us a slightly different scene, but one that um, you know might be a bit too real when we think of extended family sleeping all over our houses or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but it's not necessarily that simple narrative of they're utterly rejected from some like Airbnb, yeah. um, but rather that they're in this situation of relying on other people's hospitality. Yes. So there's a whole theme there around hospitality and being guests and that at, at the birth of Jesus, he is, you know, part of a family that's vulnerable and entirely reliant on the hospitality, hospitality of, you yes. know, yeah. people. Yeah. And and it's, I mean, one of the great things about that fantastic summary for us is it also reminds us of um, the the kind of diversity and complexity, the difference mm. of of society in in this kind of first century setting. So we, we've got a lot of um, what we might think of as intersectionalities, like a lot of different things that, that work out people's socioeconomic status and their kind of social place and stuff going on, even just in this setting. So in, in this little bit of chapter mm. two. So we've got that. And then we're going to work um, work up now into the next section, which is about the shepherds, right? And, yeah. And so uh, – Again, this is the kind of thing that you can find very polarizing, and I, I think um, one of the things that that does is it makes us think that that's it's very um, almost cartoonish kind of like group of other people who are not like us, who are the people that are in this story, and and in fact, I think um, th- there is some stuff here about. Um, the kind of word that's used for shepherds indicating potentially that there it's people who own their mm-hmm. sheep, not just um, hired hands. You might have more to say about that as well, yeah. Robin. But you know, like this is this is part of what's going on there. So um, there are people who've done some really important work on trying to work out the the uh, social strata, the the economic place of different groups within ancient society like this and in fact there are a whole lot of different groups who are like who actually come below someone who would be someone looking at who could even own a sheep um you know and be looking after this so um these are not the people who are the most bottom rung of society there there will be it's not that luke doesn't care about those people they will show up in all sorts of places across the text but it's not just sort of um uh, just rich and poor and super yep. poor destitute it's it's like a whole society like our yeah. society with a whole lot of different um uh different places for people within it i guess yeah no i agree and i think um you, we know in luke's gospel he has concern for the poor he's critical of people who are wealthy and don't use their wealth yes. for others um uh, but here we don't need to make the shepherds, and I've heard sermons like this, we don't need to make them the most destitute, smelly, outcast rejects of society. Cause historically, they're probably not. Um, to make the point that this declaration that comes in verse 10, I am bringing you good news, this is this euangelion gospel, I'm bringing you evangelizing news of yeah. great joy for 
all the people. And I think the all the people there is really key and it takes us back to um, the beginning of Chapter 2 where the census, the decree went out to all the world, which was probably the known Roman Empire, Yes, all the people now. So we've got, again, a similar level of inclusion but this time instead of a census saying we need to tick boxes so we can tax you and know how many soldiers to demand, um, it's an announcement of good news that is great joy. Um, yes. And that include. I mean, we should also point out, I mean, I, I just feel like I'm busting some Christmas myths here. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Angels, not cute little cherubim as much as yeah. the kids that dress up in a nativity are cute. Yeah. Um, terrifying. Yeah, yeah. They wield swords. They kill people in the Bible. So Lots of eyes. Yes. Should, this is how we should dress children in, for the yes, nativity right. play. <laughs> exactly. Multi-wings, <laughs> possibly serpent-like. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the shepherds are terrified and that's for really good reason. These yeah. are like divine monster creatures yes. coming to announce, but, you know, instead of a, a word of judgment, a word of good news. Yes, yes, exactly. And, you know, like throughout, I feel like this is one of the things that was part of what you said at the beginning, Robin, and we see it more here as well. Um, uh, something about, you know, like the the context of oppression and whatnot in Isaiah 9 that is then uh, brought to an end with this mm. um, tiny child. We we have these dynamics throughout throughout Luke as well, and throughout, in fact, all of our Christmas readings here. This kind of juxtaposition of um, of real life, the stuff that is part of real life yeah. at Christmas at and in all the time, um, which we'll ke- I think we'll keep coming back to in this conversation, um, and and the kind of um, Activity of God cutting through that and bringing joy. Yeah. So we've got here um, the the enthusiasm of the shepherds as they're returning, but we've also got this comment about Mary treasuring all these words and pondering them in her heart, yes. which is, I think, a beautiful image. Um, and it also draws our attention forward maybe into the scene uh, in the temple not long later when she will um, interact with Simeon. Simeon will talk about this child who's destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a light to the Gentiles, a um, lot of revelation to the Gentiles actually, um, and then a sword will pierce her own soul. So yeah. we've got this tragedy that is already embedded in something that is still nonetheless a story of great joy. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, it, it's one of the things that strikes me about remembering the shepherds are in some ways ordinary people. Yeah. Um, they're not elite, so the announcement yeah. doesn't come to the elite. But there's something here about God interrupting ordinary life. Yeah, yeah. Maybe even yeah. Um, the difficult parts of yeah. ordinary life, like, you know, the part of the job where you're on night shift with yeah. the sheep in this yeah. case. But there's lots yeah. of people who work ordinary low-paid jobs on night shift and, you know, we could play with what it means for joy to break into those either just incredibly ordinary or sometimes to the extent that they run us down mundane parts of our lives. Um, and, you know, as well as the obvious, the grief and the tragedy and the other mm. things that I think mm. we'll, we'll pick up on, particularly mm. when we get to John. Mm. Um, we should also note there's a political element, just in case people don't know this in verse 10. Again, this word for good news, this euangelion mm. word, is a word we see in inscriptions in other parts of the empire. Um, and, you know, births of emperors were announced as good news or the victory of the emperor was announced as good news. So there's also possibly a play here that has political ramifications as yes. well. This is good news yeah. of joy for all people, but yeah. it has that political kind of... Yeah, yeah. 
So it's arguably the same kind of, I mean, a, a version of this juxtaposition of the larger framework and then this overturning yeah. as well. It actually makes me wonder that if we might turn then to yep. Psalm 98 um, <clears throat> just briefly and just the thing that, you know, has it struck me as I was reading this was the um, <clears throat> really these, the same kind of comments about, about joy. Oh, sing to yes. the Lord a new song. He's done marvellous things. And we still have this stuff. His right hand and his holy arm have gotten him victory. So there's still this kind of like um, battle kind of context yeah. um, that that's going on here. But but we have this, you know, make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth into joyous song and sing praises. And it goes on about different different ways of describing joy. And it really, I mean, it made me think actually about how we think about Christmas. Mm. Um <clears throat> Joy is, of course, a word that's strongly associated with Christmas, but can also be pretty trite, and yes. it can be a really oppressive thing to be in a context where people are saying, "Be joyful," when it doesn't yeah. when it doesn't at all feel like that, or if it doesn't feel like there's some acknowledgement of um, of you know of real life that you, that you're then coming to. So, if we can think about it in the context of real life, um, what does it mean to kind of exhort one another to to joy or to joy. be exhorted exhorted by the the psalmist to join the psalmist in joy at christmas yeah and i think joy for me comes from a deep place that is not just happiness i think often yes. we talk about joy and it's like put on the positive face and smile yeah but yep. joy is something which can be super gendered and oh, all of that stuff yes. too like which of course there can be expectations around christmas that are part of that as yeah. well that's worth naming yes exactly yep. um and it, yeah, so joy for me might not be about the smiling face, but it is this deeper sense, perhaps of hope, mm. of um, gratitude. Um, you know, it's hard to put words around it, but an expression of you know, we'll get to John one in a moment of that there is light and dark places, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think. You know, we're always mindful. We don't have to do a full-on blue Christmas service to acknowledge in our regular Christmas services that Christmas is hard for a lot of people. Yeah. Cost of living's gone up. A lot of people will be struggling financially. Guarantee someone sitting in church has had a loved one die in the last mm. year. Mm. Um, and we know those first Christmases are hard. Mm. Um you know, if we make it too saccharine about, oh, isn't it lovely when a baby's born? Well, how does a woman who hasn't born a baby yeah. and maybe really wants to hear that? Yeah. Um, yeah. So just being really mindful that in an effort to be joyful, we're not trite in a way that diminishes, doesn't acknowledge yes. pain or yes. I, I don't know what you yes. think about no, that, I Kylie. D- I absolutely. And the, the stuff that you're saying about you don't need a blue Christmas or whatnot, I mean... I think they're fantastic services and that yeah. it's great when people do them. But you don't need to look for a different reading for no. one of those services. Actually, the main scripture that we deal with at Christmas does cover that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes there are some traditions around Christmas that connect to some of our stories, maybe like the Luke story or something else, a nice little nativity. And so we think that they're part of like – the Christian part of Christmas, but they can be just as cultural and just as mm. difficult and complex. You know, I certainly remember early Christmases after my husband died as a young man when I was young. Um, 
that that there were things about, you know, like showing up to church. Christmas is hard enough, right, yeah. with all of the stuff that you might have going on at a time like that. And showing up to church and finding that it could replicate the kind of expectations of nuclear family and whatnot yeah. at that time that maybe come from these kind of trite nativity pictures or something where we assume that there's just, you know, Mary, Joseph and Jesus and that this is how we model society. Yeah, or that this is somehow the ideal family, right, yeah, even yeah. though we know it's a very mixed story going yeah, on. Yeah, that's yeah. right. There's going to be all sorts of stuff in, in the story about the way families work in the Christian gospel. But to find that even your church community mm. is is presenting those kind of cultural assumptions about Christmas yep. rather than speaking what truly is, I think, the good news at the heart of all of this stuff is about God coming to us in our darkest places. This is what mm-hmm. the incarnation is about. And 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 bringing something new in there, bringing a depth of joy even potentially that's so far from trite, but but is something yep. something new and alive in, in the face of darkness or, you know, breaking the bonds of oppression like we began with yeah. Isaiah 9. You know, this this is the good news of the incarnation. Um, and, and I just think that we need to be super careful about how we present that yeah. um, and and bring, yeah, good, good, genuinely good news uh, in what can be actually a super hard day for people. Exactly. Yeah. Um, one of the things that strikes me about the psalm before we uh, yeah. move on is um, I do love the fact it goes to almost this cosmic, you know, make a joyful noise, all the earth, yes. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's something to me about one of the great gifts of the Christian community is that the Christian community can be joyful and praise and pray when any one of us as individuals can't. Yes. Yes. So, you know, perhaps the gift of Christmas is that the community can, you know, create spaces in our services for the person who's feeling lonely or bereft in some way to not feel alienated at other people's joy, but actually that this service can support them. I don't know. I don't have the solution for how to do that. (laughs) It's hard work, but yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it it shows, I mean, just the kind of – communal nature of the singing in this that is like it's not yeah. just the human community it's the whole created order is exactly. doing this yeah it means you're really not alone in yes. any of it right yeah and if we can be real with each other about the stuff that's hard the stuff you know the people gathering um for christmas without the person who's died this year uh the people who have been putting their lives back together after floods or continuing to expect floods here in Australia in different places, um, uh, the cost of living, all of the stuff that's been hard this year. If we can gather with all of that stuff, you know, aware of it but still joining in a whole cosmic community um, to find a different kind of joy, I think that's really, that's real. Yeah. So John 1... Which takes us, um, picking up what you were just saying, Kylie, to this big cosmic picture, right? In the beginning, we've we've gone back in time to some pre-existent, you know, evoking creation, Genesis 1, that this word, this logos, who we'll learn is Jesus become flesh um, or an image for, you know, um, was there in this primordial time. And, I mean, people know this is such a dense passage. There's so much Mm. beautiful theology. Just in that first line we have a claim about the preexistence of the word, that the word is with God, so something about the relationship of Jesus and God as being towards one another. Um, 
in posture, literally in the Greek, and mm. that the word was God. So also mm. this this claim of Jesus' divinity. Mm. It's, it's also at one level, um, at another level, it's also like this beautiful kind of engagement with scripture as well, right? Because mm. it's a reinterpretation of Genesis one for you know in this in this new faithful way, drawing on that. And so in a way, it shows as we preach on this text, we're part of this chain of tradition of interpreting scripture in a yes. new setting. Yeah, always being updated and made contextual, and yeah, yeah. Um, it immediately goes into like a little bit of tragedy, though, right? Yes. Where do you see that? So, so well, we've got well, sorry, not immediately. Like we've <laughs> got the first five verses that are like beautiful with all of this, everything being created through Him. In Him was life, and and the life was the light of all the people, and the light shines in the darkness, yeah. and the darkness does not over, did not overcome it. Can't even grasp it. Doesn't get it. Yes. Um. And, of course, this is beautiful. Uh, you could just reflect on verse 5, I reckon, for I know, like the whole service, right? <laughs> There's beautiful um, refrains and stuff as well on it. I do uh, sometimes wonder when these ancient authors wrote this stuff, did they realise that this one line would yeah, just yeah, yeah. stand out as like yep. just Something you such just a perfect – Yeah, exactly. Yes. That's right. But it immediately presumes, right, there's darkness. Yes, there is a darkness, and um, of course, that you know, we know the nature of light. As soon as there's a little bit of light in complete darkness, it complete darkness is no longer there. It's yes, change transforms it. Yep. Yeah, um, but we're going to, you know, as it goes on, this is the tragedy that I was saying is already kind of there. It's like you know, we get to verse ten, and we've got he was in the world, and the world came into being through him. Yet the world did not know him. Yeah, he came into what was his own, literally like his own things. It's written in the Nuta, you know, like yep. his own things. And his own people did not accept him. Yeah. So resonances of darkness and rejection and misunderstanding all yeah. in the midst of this kind of glory and light and life. Yes. And I think that's what we were saying towards the beginning, like all of these Christmas stories have this kind of tension in them that is about God in breaking mm. Um into the fullness of our human experience, including the dark places. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And and this kind of tragic, his own thing. I mean, like, I guess he made, you know, it's already in the context of his part of the creation of everything. So his own things is everything. But yes. I guess we could feel a particular challenge as the, as the people of the church, the people who make certain kind of confessional claims to think about what does it mean when the ones who should know God the best are the ones who fail to... To yeah. notice, to recognize the new thing God is doing, that recognize God truly present in the incarnation among us. Um, yeah. 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 I mean, there's so many themes in here that, again, that could be a bit of a word of comfort for people who've experienced perhaps rejection from the world or from the people that should love them, right? There's immediately a kind of a resonance there. Um, for people who fear the darkness might sometimes overwhelm just a bit too much. Yes. And yet, the, um, the sort of way the verbs work there is the light shines. It's this yes. present tense, the light is still shining, um, but the darkness did not kind of yes. overcome it or conquer it. So that the darkness did not win, the light yes. is still shining. And what does it mean, you know, for the light to still be shining? What does that look like in our everyday lives um, or, in fact, in the lives of the church, yeah. you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, last thing, I suspect this is not going to be the topic of people's Christmas sermons. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we get this little interlude in the middle of the John 1 to 10 yes. section or 1 to 14 as it is in the lectionary. Yep. Um, 
of John, yes. this man sent from God. So we've had, you know, we get John in various, you know, particularly in Luke, we had the whole setup with John's birth. Um, here, just it's just worth noting, he's not the Baptist. He's not the baptizer. In yep. John, he's the witness, yeah. and he witnesses to the light so that people believe. So there is like something in here about um, you could play with, mm. uh, you know, depending on your context and the kind of congregation you have about what it means to be people. Like mm. if if Christmas is a source of life and nourishment for us and this, you know, the, claiming the incarnation, what does it mean to live that out in a way that continues to witness to the light? Yes. Um, yeah. Like John. Yes. And, and that in all of this, in the tragedy of the kind of not recognising or, you know, despite the witnessing of John and whatnot, uh, there is actually quite, there is quite a bit of good news here yep. about like just making the attempt to recognise because it does go on towards the end of the passage to say, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God. And these uh, children of God are born uh, not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man. So not like, you know, through um, through like effort. Biology. Or, yeah, not yeah. through biology yeah. or effort or any of these kinds of things. But this is by God. We are given this yeah. capacity to become children of God. And then it's going to go on to talk about the word becoming flesh and Living among us, uh, yeah. pitching his tent, dwelling. Yes, that um, Greek word there, like the living among us in your NRSVs, yes. um, is literally, you know, the word became flesh and pitched his tent. Yeah. Like the skene. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we have seen his glory. Yeah. I mean, it, I, I do, there's again so much to play with in these last couple of verses because you're right. There's something about um, in verse 12, this. This word, um, we have exousia, we have authority to become children of God. So somehow this this is a gift God gives us yes. to become part of God's family. It potentially goes to what you were talking about before, Kylie, in terms of disrupting yes. our Christian notion or our worldly notion actually of family Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the primacy of the nuclear family that's so often a default even in Christian churches because, in fact, here family is immediately reconstituted as those who believe Yes. And it's got nothing to do with flesh yep. and biology. It's got to do with spirit. Yes. Um, yes. What would, um, in our final few moments, what, what, what would you preach on with all the stuff we've covered? Is there, do you have a go-to or a theme you'd pick this year? I, I mean, I think obviously there's a, there's a million things, um, yeah. but uh, but I think from where I'm at in my particular kind of location and the stuff that's going on for people and whatnot, um, I I would I would be talking about real life and mm-hmm. and God coming to us in real life, all all the different um, communities, different groups of people in our various readings, um, and and what it means for for God to break the power of oppression or to bring light into super dark places mm. that, that people have been in. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Rob? I'm not sure I could say it better than that. I think I think probably very similar. There's something about, um, you know, proclaiming the joy of Christmas but in a way that's just keeping it really yeah. real. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think we can do that. I think that's the challenge and – you know, of course, it's the challenge to live that out the rest of the year too, to be people of joy and bringers of life even when life is hard, right? That's the, yeah. the hope of the incarnation. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, thanks everyone for listening and a very Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Merry Christmas and thanks for listening to us throughout 2022. By the Well is brought to you by Pilgrim Theological College and the Uniting Church in Australia. It's produced by Adrian Jackson. Thanks for listening.